We've been in Ephesians for 16 weeks, and it's taken us this long to get to chapter 3. And those of you who are students, I need to remind you, Paul, when he wrote, was inspired by God, but he was also very intellectual. He knew what he was doing. And he knew that the church needed instruction, and he needed, the church needed direction, and the church needed encouragement. Because the church at that time, even more so than our lives at this time, well, was under a lot of pressure, a lot of duress, a lot of distraction. They said, oh, okay, 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 okay. Hang tight, folks. Let me tell you and remind you about God. And he spends the first three chapters talking about God, the foundation, what God has done. And he spends the last three chapters, four through six, talking about now what we do. And, and that's the key order is you've got to truly come to a biblical understanding and a biblical reaction of who God is and what God's done before you go into what God wants, what God is doing. You ever found anybody just tripped out or overwhelmed by what God says to do? They can't understand it. They reject it. God wants them to follow him or to give or to serve. They don't get it because they, they don't realize what God has done. And when you realize what God has done as your shepherd, as your savior, as your redeemer, as your lover, as your creator, when you just, oh my, oh, oh, you're like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six. Do you remember the story? Isaiah chapter one, Isaiah walks all around Jerusalem and says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. In chapter two, he does the same, but he changes his voice a little bit. He's like, woe to you, and woe to you. Chapter two and four and five, all of it, he's a prophet of God telling people what's up. And in chapter six, the year that Uzziah died, the Bible says that Isaiah, the prophet who knew the truth, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord nearer and clearer. And when he saw the Lord, this is the prophet, woe to you. Oh, do you know what he said? Woe to me. Woe to me. And he fell down. He said, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. I know deep within my heart and I see God. When you see God, he then deals with you at a deeper level in a more intimate way in order then to fashion you to do what he wants you to do. Isaiah was already doing it, but maybe, I'm speculating, maybe he was doing it wrong. Whoa, to you. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was out of character. Maybe his tone was wrong. And so God showed himself got to know who God is, to Isaiah, and he got the proper understanding of God and his firmament and the train of his robe filled the temple and his glory. And, ah. and right then and there, you know the rest of the story. Isaiah 6, read it if you don't. God cleansed him in his brokenness. He was broken. He's done. He's ready to quit. I can't do this. And God said, perfect, good answer. Now let me cleanse you, fix you, make you new. And then God begins to lament. Who shall I send? Anybody? Anybody in Isaiah and his newfound understanding of God and his new embraced brokenness. Oh, God is so good and I've been cleansed and I'm not worthy, but I'm cleansed. I'm not cleansed. I, I am cleansed and God is, here am I, Lord. Send me. And he volunteers after this new fresh start and God sends Isaiah and he continues his ministry. So too Paul had seen the Lord in ways that transformed everything, that took his breath away literally took his sight away. And he became a new man through that brokenness. How many of you guys love brokenness? Yeah. I don't. I don't. God says, yeah, you gotta, you gotta go low before I lift you high. You, you, you oftentimes have to be hurt deep by, by the things around, but by your own actions. Just feel that pain deep before you can be used great. Otherwise, when you're used great without that deep pain, without that deep 
transformation. That greatness will kill you. It will wreck you when God shows to you what his plan really is and who he really is and who we really are. If you don't truly understand his heart and his character and his love. And so God allows you and I to live our lives. He allows us to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He allows us to endure unfortunate and unfamiliar and uncomfortable circumstances. I don't like those at all. God says, this is actually what's going to get you to come to the woe is me conclusion so I can cleanse you, so I can equip you, so you can then volunteer in humility. Remember Paul, his new Christian name? His old secular name was Saul. Saul means I volunteer, I'm it, I'm the guy. Paul, when he would change it, came through humility and meant small, little one. That's when the Lord used him and the Lord came after him. And I just encourage you today, you're on the conveyor belt of holiness. God's got you on this conveyor belt and it's going through the systems of life. And one at a time, God is applying and subtracting and giving you things that will help bring you closer to him in holiness that he gives to you in the work of sanctification and set-apartness as a work of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to kind of stay still on the conveyor belt. You ever jump off the conveyor belt? <laughs> the, the Bible calls you and I living sacrifices. In that day, it makes more sense. Nowadays, we don't sacrifice anything. I think we'd go to jail if we did. In that day, they would actually sacrifice animals. They would cut them and kill them and sacrifice them. When you cut and kill an animal and put it on the altar, it don't move. It stays put. And God says, well, you're alive, and I want you to then live your life sacrificially for me. It would almost be easier to be completely dead on the altar, right? Because you're not going to squirm off and go away. But you and I have our free will. We have our distractions. And the problem with living sacrifices is that we put ourselves on the altar because we've been touched by God and we give ourselves to God. But because we're alive and wandering so often, we wiggle off and go away. And I just think it's so much more profound when a Christian, when a believer says, I'm going to not just die for you. Wouldn't that be cool? I'm actually going to live for you. I'm going to live my life for you. I'm going to live my marriage for you. I'm going to live my singleness for you. I'm going to live my finances for you. I'm going to live my, my quiet time for you. I'm going to live my entertainment for you. I'm going to live my hopes and dreams and fears for you. I'm going to cycle everything through you. When that is who you are, God then can use you in the lives of the people around you who are wandering off the altar or away from God. And so Paul's had that happen to him, and now 16 weeks later, we find ourselves in chapter 3. Let's read it together, all the way to verse 13 with minimal commentary. We'll try. <laughs> the guys, you may want to start the timer for this one. Here we go. For this reason, it's kind of like a therefore. We'll talk about that in a minute. But he says, for, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles... That's, I just need you to just grab that real quick. Who's he really a prisoner of? Rome, Caesar's household, the Jerusalem occupation, if you would, the haters and the naysayers. Oh, that's not how he saw it. So much pain even in this room. Trouble, regrets, unfortunate circumstances. Paul knows it all. And Paul says, oh, you know what's going on in my life? It's me and Jesus. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm not a prisoner of the government, not a prisoner of the system, not a prisoner of hatred, not a prisoner of judgment, intolerance. That's not my problem. 
actually don't have a problem. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He had taken his situation and funneled it through the father filter. And it came out as good and glorious and grand. He said, this is great. This is gr- Why is it great? Because God is great. His situation wasn't great. He would much rather be doing stuff elsewhere, but instead he didn't have that privilege, nor do you. We really don't. Life comes at you pretty fast, doesn't it? And he says, you know how I see it. I'm a prisoner. I'm, I'm where I'm at linked to Jesus. Why? For you Gentiles. I just need you to capture that. It'll change everything about your whole life right now. It'll, ca- it'll change everything about your whole life right now. If you realize that you are a creation of God, an image bearer, a missionary to the lost, a trophy of grace, an ambassador of Christ, an emissary of mercy, a dispenser of love, kindness, and forgiveness, one who's the very voice, the beacon of heaven. You know what a beacon is? A message comes out and it hits a beacon and the beacon sends it forward. And the message comes from heaven through Jesus, through the word to you and hits you and you receive it and it changes you. And God says, I want to use you. Oh, but I'm a prisoner of divorce. But I'm a a prisoner of illness and sickness. But I'm a prisoner of a government that doesn't recognize my Christianity anymore. I'm a prisoner of you name it. That's not true. You, I, we, we are linked to, connected with, prisoners of, in our own situation, Jesus Christ, for the people around us. Paul saw it so clearly, standing up in his cell 16 chapters later, or whatever, two chapters later. He goes on, and he says, if indeed you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me that mystery, as I briefly have written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages wasn't made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Here's the mystery. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the same promise in Christ through the gospel. Paul's tripping, writing this letter. You guys, this is so crazy. I'm in jail. I'm actually with Jesus. Jesus is with me because of this great mystery that was given to me, the revelation that is now mine. I shared it with you. You read it. What's the mystery? That God, before time began, had a plan to include everybody, all-inclusive, non-exclusive, all-inclusive in Christ. Jesus would save himself. I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. The contrast statement would be, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and anybody and all people everywhere can come to God through me, all-inclusive through Christ. Other religions of the world are so tight and so small, Buddhism and Islam, Hinduism, all so small and so myopic in their call and their reach to the masses, not Jesus. Jesus says, uttermost to the guttermost. Okay, you got a pulse, I got a plan. Verse seven, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ 
and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages and has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's a crazy sentence right there. Paul is tripping, writing to the church. You're the church, okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, you're the church. You're the church. You're the church. He says, this all happened. Jesus did what he did and called me by grace. I'm the least of the, least of the saints to even be thought of as worthy as cray-cray. And he did so, why? To, to reveal to the principalities and powers that the intent of God through the church, that's you. He's using you as his, a ah, good word would be poema, his project, his poem, his message, his letter to the world. Well, how long has God been thinking about this? Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Father, in Jesus' name now, as we study your word together, it's a little hot, a little humid in here. That's okay. I pray, God, that you would give us attentive spirits and that your spirit would mingle with ours and we would find great purpose for our lives, that we, like Paul, would be changed because of who you are eternally. You haven't changed. You're not upgrading you're not adjusting. You are steadfast. Your eternal plan hasn't been stopped or challenged at all. And so while our present situation is topsy-turvy, inconsistent, and uncontrollable, we submit that to you, Lord, who has a plan and have included us in your plan. Bless this time this morning, Lord. May, again, your spirit be heavier than uh, the temperature and heavier than the humidity. May we find ourselves changed by you. We thank you, Lord, in advance, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 For this reason, he begins verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, for you Gentiles. Crazy. I want you to understand, though, the reason that he finds himself in jail and okay with it, behind bars and not upset, enduring persecution unrightfully, unlawfully, a couple years from now, his head will be cut off of his body. And yet even in light of that, he says, hey, 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 I got a reason. It's for this reason that I'm in jail. It's for this reason that I'm living on display for you. What's the reason again? If we could just go back, it's chapter two and chapter one. That is that foundation of the theology of God. In chapter 2, he helped us understand that there is a zero and there is a hero. And in verses 1 through 3, he said, when you guys had a good chance, a good go at it, you were born in sin, you worked for the devil, and you ran amok in the world, okay? Good job. Give yourself a big fat F. But God, verse 4, who's rich in mercy, when you were yet dead in trespasses and sins, made you alive together with him. How we had acted and done and achieved contrasted with what God had given and we have received. God has done this amazing work and now works in us by grace we've been saved. And verse 10 in chapter 2 says, we are now his workmanship and God's doing stuff. And last week we ended on that great picture where he says, and now you all just read it to you, the last couple verses. 
He says it this way, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also, say me also, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Oh, for this reason, he goes on, just goes right into it. For this reason, because you failed, because God succeeded, because he's adopted you and he's grafted you and now he's building you and dwelling with you and it's ongoing because of that, I'm stoked. And he ends verse 13. We got there, verse 13. He said, therefore, don't trip about my trouble. In verses 1 through 13 of the chapter I just read to you, it's a sandwich. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus for you Gentiles. Therefore, don't trip about my trouble. And there are people here today that need to hear that message, that, that there is trouble. And if you're not careful, you're going to trip, unless there's a purpose to it. Unless you see yourself as one who maybe possibly could be used by God, having gone through your life, your unique situations, in order to be used by God for the Gentiles, for the Jews, for the onlookers, for the naysayers, for the questioners, for the critics, for the ones who need help. And God will use your life and your little story as Paul's name was little. Oh, for this reason, I'm excited because God's given to me this message to then dispense to the people around you. And because God is building you, there's been a vertical connection. We call it reconciliation. And, and that wall has been broke down. Now there's a horizontal reconciliation. And Paul's so jacked up. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no male, no female, no slave, no freeman, no barbarian, no Scythian, no nothing. What? All are equal in Christ. So because of that, I can endure all things. I can go to jail. I can actually get some stuff done while in jail, Paul would say to himself. I can actually use this. Oh, this is actually good, what I'm going through right now for your sake and because what God is doing. Here's the cool thing. Right now, you got to believe that God is building you up right now. He's shaping you. He's forming you. He's getting those rough edges off. He's chosen you, picked you out of the rubble, the ash pile of debris like Nehemiah, the first book we ever studied here at South Beach Church back in 2010. Nehemiah, as Nehemiah showed up to see the walls that had been broke down for 120 years, 120 years, God put it upon him to rebuild the wall. How long did it take him, Bible students? Rhymes with 52, <laughs> 52, 52 days, 52 days, man. He was able to do a miracle. Rebuild. With what material? Broke down boulders, broken down beams, messed up lives. God says, that's perfect because everybody is broken down and everybody is messed up. There's not one person who is apart from grace, able to be used by God and able to be put on display and able to be trusted with the wealth of heaven. You gotta be broken and burned out for God to get the glory and not you. How many of you guys know Troy Hart? Okay, now you all do. <laughs> Troy Hart was at Starbucks. Was that yesterday? Was that yesterday? And Troy Hart, he goes to church. He'll be here at the 6 p.m. service. And the Troy Hart's walking in recovery, delivered uh, from drugs and alcohol, and he's walking in sobriety. And as he shares his story with me, as he continues to walk in it, yesterday, as out of his lips, he said, I didn't do anything. But God is opening up so many doors. And all I did was surrender. I just let God and let go. And he says, I keep telling that to all of my NA friends, all of my people who are struggling to get out of this world. I just say, that's so crazy. Just let God be God. Let him build you. Let him 
speak into your life and take over. And we're so rigid and so rebellious. And yet when we just say, woe is me, God then comes in and he does a mighty work. And because of this, Paul now says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, and he goes into the diatribe secondary thought, ending in verse 13, says, don't trip about my trouble. I'm stoked because of what God is doing, the platform he's given me and the the pathway he's set out for me, even if it ends up in trial and tribulation. I'm suffering in jail and I'm doing it gladly. How many of you guys have ever been to jail? That's kind of a crazy question at church. Some of you raise your hand, you're like, why am I raising my hand? What am I doing? Here's a different question. How many have ever been to jail because of your love for Jesus Christ and for telling other people about it? These two up here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's a story. That's a story. Most of us haven't been persecuted in the same way as Paul was for the things Paul did. His great trials, troubles, and tribulations came because he was a Christian from the haters and the naysayers all around. As a matter of fact, he was on Twitter one time 2,000 years ago, and he tweeted uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Maybe we could pull it up. Is that going to come up real, real quick? Uh, otherwise, I'm going to have to look it up. Otherwise, I'm going to have to look it up. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. 1 Corinthians. First. I'm, gonna, I'm looking. It's a race. Who's going to get there first? Oh, oh, there it is. For I received from the Lord that which I also... Nope, not that verse. Not that verse. Not that verse. That's, that's my bad. Let me just look up the, the verse that I wanted. I gave him the wrong, the wrong inscription. Uh, Second Corinthians, maybe? Is that what I said first? Paul talks about, we'll just get there, we'll get there right the next service. Paul talks about what he had endured himself, shipwrecked and beaten and whipped, and all of these things he had endured for the sake of Christ, for the message of Jesus. And here's the deal, though. I asked you to raise your hands if you've been to jail before. I asked you to raise your hands if you've been to jail for Jesus before. How about raise your hands if you've ever suffered before? Just, no, I'm saying suffered. Raise your hand. Okay, let's, let's, let's let you guys not be liars. Raise your hand if you've ever been through a tough time in your life, ever. Okay. Suffering is part of our walk. It's part of our nature. It's part of our world. It's part of the way of life. It's called post-Genesis 3. There's a reason for it. Life is tough and God is good. That was a term somebody had me memorize a long time ago. And they actually finished it. Life is tough and God is good. Don't confuse the two. In a pluralistic, humanistic mind might say, no, 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 God is good. Or life is good and God is tough sometimes. I said, well, I don't believe it's true. This isn't how it's supposed to be down here. This is our temporary dwelling place. If you've ever been on a world travel, you spent some time in a terminal, in an airport, okay? And when you were in that terminal, in that airport, on your destination, on your way to where you were going, you never really settled into that terminal, did you? Well, I'm on my way to Los Barbados, but I kind of like it here. I'm going to call Amazon.com, and I'm going to order some blinds for the windows. (laughs) There's an Ikea somewhere. I'm going to get some furniture for this little area I'm waiting. No, no, you sit there, and you wait, and they got little chairs that are made not to be comfortable, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And you're waiting to get to your destination. I'm not kidding. I am not messing with you. This thing called life is the terminal, okay? It's the waiting gate to get to where we're going eternally with him. And it's filled with troubles and traumas and trials. Every one of us, whether it's for Christ or just because life's tough, we found ourselves to be suffering. And let me just tell you what Paul said in chapter three, verses one through 13. I'm gonna teach it to you and show it to you, but I wanna tell it to you first. What he said briefly, if I could summarize it, he said, I'm in jail for Jesus and it's okay because he's worth it and you're gonna grow from it. And if you could just 
conceptualize that for your own life. I'm okay being in jail. Okay? Because Jesus is worth it and you're gonna grow from it. And you may not go to jail, okay? But you will in this life suffer. You will have pain. There will be setbacks. There will be attacks. There will be disappointments. You will find yourself bummed out, if not from me or someone else, from yourself. Guaranteed, okay? Pain has a lot of different sources, doesn't it? Attack, affliction. So, so Paul, so Paul, oh, 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 he's suffering in jail. But for this reason, <laughs> I'm good. Don't trip about my trouble. For, for what reason? Because God's doing stuff. Because God's given to me a message to dispense. Because it's worth it. Because God's going to show everyone. And is this how you respond when you go through trouble? You say, don't trip about my trouble to yourself? You say that to other people? Or do you look for people to trip about your trouble? <laughs> That's what Facebook's for. Put your trouble on there and find somebody to trip with you. You know, like... <laughs> Somebody like this, somebody comment, somebody, ooh, ah, uh, you know? And Paul's like, no, no, no. This is actually good. God, this is a platform. This is an opportunity. Okay, I love the Bible because the Bible's honest. It's a story. Every story is of great suffering, hardship, and affliction meshed with purpose, hope, and healing. Every single story. There's a false gospel out there called the prosperity gospel that says when you give your life to Jesus, when you walk with God, when you are a Christian, God will keep you from all evil. God will keep you from all harm and all pain. And I haven't seen that biblically. I haven't seen it in theory. I haven't seen it in reality. I haven't seen it personally. Okay, God is for you, not against you. And he is greater than he who is in you than he who's in the world. And God does cause all things to work together for good. But it's gonna hurt. Okay, I'm a good doctor. I'm not gonna tell you a lie. It's gonna hurt. It's going to hurt. And when you, like Isaiah, go low, God then can lift you high and move you forward. When you, like Paul, can bear in your body the markings of Christ. When you, like Paul in Philippians 3.10, say, oh, to know the Lord in the fellowship of his sufferings. Okay, I say that all. This world is full of pain, full of trial, full of affliction. Matter of fact, let me just give you a, a couple to think about. And the crazy thing about pain and suffering is that not only is it caused by others to you, but you've caused it to others in your life. Isn't that wild? You've all been on the receiving end of pain, affliction, and suffering from stuff. Just you name it. Arbitrary, random, crazy shrapnel from the world, and also targeted, specific, vile from the enemy. But you've also been on the dishing out end. You've done some stupid stuff. Can I see all the stupid people? Raise your hand if you've done some stupid stuff. Like you just, man, what were you thinking? Like, where were you when you were making this decision? Come on. And we want to be proper about it, pretend it's all good. Oh, you know, listen, it's pain, man. Affliction. You give it, you take it. Why? What? What? And people always want to have that question. Why? Why the suffering? Why? Why? And I would just give you a different question, maybe a who and a what. Here's some of the things to think about, though, in, in pain and in suffering and affliction. Uh, number one, the source. Why, is, why am I suffering right now? Maybe you're suffering right now. Before I even get any further, let me just ask that question for you to think, where, where's your suffering at right now? Just, just so you can engage with what God is doing in your life. Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it financial? Uh, spiritual? 
Uh, maybe there's anxiety in your heart. Maybe there's just a, a pain in your leg. Every, oh, you know, pain. Where is it at? Maybe it's fear of the future, regret of the past, discomfort with your situation. You name it. Here's a couple sources of suffering, affliction, and pain. Number one, this is a, it's called a Adamic pain. And it's a fancy word. You take the word Adam and add ick at the end, Adamic. It's this pain we get from Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. And now all of a sudden, ooh, God said, in the day you eat of it, there's going to be pain and sin. The day you sin, man, there's this tsunami wave that's going to crush the earth. And it's still moving. If you just imagine that, still doing its damage. And that has all kinds of effects in our life. Number two, there's a different way we suffer. It's punishment. Okay, this would not be for believers, but for the world around. When they are sinful and rebellious, there's going to be pain and consequences. There's another one, consequential pain. Okay, you, this is, you do stupid stuff, you get stupid results. You ever been there? Okay, you spend too much money, you're in debt. Okay, you suffer, there's affliction. You, you talk too much, you don't have any friends. You know, there's, you, know there's a, you, you suffer, there's affliction there. You know, and you yell a lot at people and no one wants to hang around you. You, know, you, you eat bad, you feel bad. It's consequential suffering. You know, why am I suffering right now? <laughs> Sometimes I counsel with people. I'm like, well, tell me this, this, and this. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. I'm like, I do. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let me write it out and run, you know, and you read it later. And, uh, there's demonic affliction, demonic suffering, just oppression, and the devil, he comes after us. Uh, there's collective affliction. Whole communities suffer together, whether it's, whether it's through refugee stuff or pressure. There's disciplinary affliction, not to punish us, but to mature us. You're doing stuff that's wrong, and all of a sudden God puts the pressure on you a little bit because he loves you and wants you to grow. It's not punishment, but it is discipline. Uh, there's vicarious affliction. That is, you vicariously suffer somebody else's vengeance or hatred, primarily with Jesus. People hate Jesus. They hate you. You ever felt that tension? Felt like a, the odd guy out in a meeting or just felt rejected? What is that? It's vicarious because Jesus said, if they hate me, they'll hate you also. Uh, there's empathetic affliction. This one we've all been through, where you hear as in the ministry, it's, this, is, uh, this happens all the time, where you walk with people through their stuff. It's not your stuff, it's, it's their stuff, but do, do you feel it? And all of a sudden, you and you hear, and now with the media and all the stuff you hear, you see and feel and receive so much bad news all day long. And most of us have empathetic overload. We just can't even feel anymore. And you hear of a shooting, or you hear of a, a tragedy, or you hear of a gory story, and your thumb scrolls right over it. Whereas before, man, you would have been doubled over in crisis pain, and uh, we get exhausted. There's testimonial affliction. This is pain and suffering we go through, much like Paul is, just to show who Jesus is and what he's done as an example. There's preventative affliction, where things hurt in your life, and God's trying to warn you for what's coming in the future. Kind of like if you had a, a pain in your right shoulder, shortness of breath, you're like, I kind of feel like something's coming on. Well, that's a warning for you to go to the hospital and not have a heart attack. And uh, God does that for us. There's suffering of all kinds. This one comes up most often. I shouldn't say most often, but there's just mysterious affliction. We just suffer, just, you know, I would categorize that under the Adamic suffering. There, there's apocalyptic affliction, that is the times are getting darker and crazier. Things are getting weirder and weirder. Birth pangs are increasing as the Lord's return is near. There's also God's will affliction. I was up at two in the morning. I remembered this uh, in the scriptures in First Peter. First Peter says, when you suffer, suffer well. Suffer for God's glory. I remember the first time I read that, back in 1999, Thanksgiving Day. I was by myself, sitting in my apartment, Thanksgiving Day, alone. 
not walking completely tight with Jesus, but tight enough to get my Bible out and read it. And the Lord said, do you want to suffer for me? And I read that, suffer well for my glory. First Peter chapter 4, right on verse 10. I said, oh, I want to suffer. And then I told the Lord, remember that one time I did suffer in jail? That was hard. The next verse says, don't suffer as an evildoer or a murderer, you idiot. I was reading the message version. And I said, Lord, I want to do something for you. There's something, any way I can suffer. And at that time, I had a skull mint dip in my lip and a pack of camel wides on my hip. And the Lord said, don't do that anymore. No more smoking, no more dipping. Just cold turkey today, you and me. <gasps> Whoa, I got excited. I was like, that's going to suffer. <laughs> that's going to suffer bad. And I was truly jazzed because I hadn't walked with God in a while and I'd done my own thing. I was like, Lord, I just want to, is there anything I can do, Lord, that would just be your will suffering? And, trust, and that was my fault for getting into that situation in my life. And I made a little shrine there on the TV with my camel wides and my skull mint. And yeah, never again, you know. And man, that was tough. Can you imagine? Anyways, the Lord reminded me of that story last night. So maybe that was for me, not you. <laughs> There's also fellowship suffering where we get to know the Lord better just through our, our time on our knees, our quiet time. Okay, here's the deal, though. We all want to know what the purpose is. As soon as something hurts, like, why does that hurt? Why does that hurt? Why does that hurt? Why does that hurt? Why? Because we want to get it. We want to figure it out. Take two of this. Alleviate that. Listen, here's a couple things. If, if, if you're suffering and affliction is through folly and sin and, and things you've done, repent. Okay? And you're on your way to alleviation. If you've done something stupid, repent of it today. Walk away. If it's other people's sin that's causing this pain, endure. Forgive. Cover and God will bless you. If it's demonic, if there's oppression, pray against it and rebuke it in Jesus' name by the power he's given to us. If it's straight up mysterious pain, just hug people. Be empathetic. Okay? You, you learn this over time by saying stupid stuff to people that are hurting, trying to fix it and solve it. And sometimes you just need to be there. And just hug, okay? There's sorrow, there's loss. If it's just plain hard, look for platforms to glorify Jesus and to show his glory. We always ask, why is this happening? Why am I suffering? And I find a lot of humility coming from my answer when I just say, I don't know. I'm sorry you're going through this. I can say this, though. It's not going to stay this way. It's going to get better, okay? It's going to get better. And I have seen 100% of the time in people's hearts and in their walk with Jesus, even if the situation doesn't resolve the way you want it to. You don't need to raise your hand, but is your situation not resolved the way you wanted it to in your pain? I'm holding on, holding on, holding on. Now I'm burying. It's over. And in that, as something falls to the ground dead, be it a business or be it a person, that you are hoping for resolution in a different way, God, even through that, brings healing and he makes it better and he uses it as a platform to display his kindness and to display his perfection and his grace. So instead of asking why, I would have you ask a different question. This would be a crazy question, by the way. Who were you suffering for? Did you know that when we suffer, watch yourself this week. I don't care how it is. Slow traffic, bill in the mail, coffee doesn't work. Whatever you're suffering, okay, you're immediately going to look inward, okay, and look for some diapers to put on your spirit, okay? 
to pat yourself on the back. And, oh, woe is your immediate. Our need. Oh, what if we, instead of looking inward in our rejection and our trauma and our trial, what if we looked outward? I wonder who this is for. I wonder who I can shine for. I wonder who I can endure for. Paul, verses 1 and 13, the sandwich. Therefore, for this reason, I'm a prisoner of Jesus for you Gentiles. Why? Well, this message of God's grace and inclusion in the gospel. Therefore, don't trip about my trouble. Now, don't worry about me. Don't worry. I'm here for you. And if you did this this week, if you just had this conclusion that you're afflicted for others' good, it would change everything. That your boss doesn't honor you, recognize you, or your body's breaking down right in front of you. <laughs> You're careful, inward, inward, so easy, so easy, so easy. Paul prayed three times for himself to be healed. Three times God said, no, 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 my grace is sufficient for your needs. Oh, wait a minute, God, let me, let me get this perfectly clear. You mean you can heal me, but you won't heal me. Yep, yep. Can I be mad a little bit? Yep, that's fine, yep. Can I ask some more questions? Yep. My grace is sufficient for your needs. I'm going to be there in your need, gracing you, using you in your limp. And as most scholars believe, his eyes had failed over time. And that was his main problem, the thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. And he couldn't see very well. And he'd been beaten so bloodied so many times and hadn't recovered properly. It reminds me of our buddy Jacob who before his name was changed to Israel, wrestled with God in such a way that he wrestled all night long until the Lord finally touched his hip. Oh, oh, that's going to hurt. And it changed his limp, changed his walk, changed his stride. And for the rest of his days, as God changed him to Israel, God is my God. God is my governor. God rules. That's his new name. And I wonder if there's a message that God wants to portray even through your trial, whether physical or spiritual. Your reaction, though, this week will be inward. Oh, those rascals. Oh, dirty, rotten, you know. Oh, I got to tell you and say, oh, you know, you're going to invent new words. (laughs) Paul's in prison again, not for his own sin, okay? And he begins to talk about others for others. He's not even there because he did anything wrong. You realize that, right? He'd been framed. This isn't even, hey, don't preach about Jesus here. And he went and preached about Jesus there. Now you're in trouble. He, what he's being accused of, he didn't even do. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm good. I'm actually here for you. And I'm actually here with Jesus. What? And when you, try, when you go through and when you're tested and you say, oh, don't worry about me. I'm actually, I'm actually with Jesus right now in the midst of my stuff. He's here. He's near to the brokenhearted. I have found that the Lord is more near to the brokenhearted than he is oftentimes to the happy-go-lucky, no worries in the world, living life, doing fine person. Because you've put yourself in a position to not realize your need for God and your dependence upon him. And I have found oftentimes God is nearer to the brokenhearted now, I say that in a world that guarantees you some brokenheartedness in the future. Okay, guaranteed. It's going to happen one way or the other. What are you going to do when it gets there? Oh, try and get, get away from it as fast as I can. Get right back to that sandy beach. 
right back to where I want to go, right back to my happy spot. Uh, we're addicted to a happy spot, aren't we? Jesus is your happy spot. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He speaks to people who are exhausted, frustrated, burdened, and bummed. And we're so quick to caffeinate and to hibernate and to do other things. Rhyme with eight. <laughs> Just eight, man. <laughs> Paul here says, don't worry about me. I'm with Jesus and I'm here for you. I'm actually glad Paul went to prison. Uh, did you know that he wrote most of his letters from prison? Just consider that. The letters that we now esteem, that we've been studying, Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon and Titus and Timothy and, and Galatians and Thessalonians. He wrote those all in jail. Had he not been arrested, lied about, maligned, challenged, and trialed, we wouldn't have these letters. One time, Paul was in prison, and he's there with Silas. And he began to worship and pray, and the doors opened up, and all the prisoners were set free, and the prison guard came in and grabbed a knife and put it to his own belly and began to fall on it because a prison guard would have to endure the same punishment of the prisoners who had escaped, and he thought they'd all escaped. And right about he's about to impale himself, Paul, Pastor Paul says, don't do it. Wait till I film it. <laughs> don't do it. We're all here. And then he proceeds to then lead this guard to Jesus. And this guard says, how can my household be saved? And he says, the same way through Jesus. They all get baptized that night. Their lives are changed there in Philippi. That wouldn't have happened had he not gone through pain and trouble. By the way, you can imagine Paul here writing this letter in decent accommodations, chained and imprisoned, no less. But in that situation, he was unclothed. His back had been filleted open, skin hanging out organs exposed, and he was laying in the inner dungeon in, the, in that story. In the inner dungeon is the lowest part where the sewage and the bodily fluids of past prisoners would have settled, and he's laying there with Silas at midnight, that pain, that trouble, and he would say, oh yeah, don't worry about me. I'm here, for, I'm here with Jesus and for you. It's cool. And the whole family got saved. Not only that, you take that story a little bit further, but the people who had just become believers there weeks before were protected from the proconsul the next day as the trial went to, uh, to procession. One time, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, and as he was getting hauled out, bloodied and beaten, he asked the guard, he said, can I preach to these people real quick? And the guard thought he was a looney tune. He said, they're trying to kill you. You want to say something to them? He's like, oh, perfect timing. <laughs> they're, all lit. they're all looking at me. He said, yeah. <laughs> Okay, and he let him preach in the midst of pain and trouble. And he preached to the whole courtyard, thousands of people there in Jerusalem. One time, Paul was in prison shortly thereafter. And he was scared and he was discouraged. He's a real man, normal dude. And guess who showed up that night in the spirit, in the flesh, however you want to look at it? Jesus Christ showed up. Paul had just given his testimony the day before, and the testimony ended with a riot. <laughs> Craziness. He's like, ooh. And he felt bad. He's like, I don't know if I did a good job. Jesus shows up. Hey, you did a great job. 
you testified of me. That's what I've asked you to testify of me. But they didn't hear. They didn't receive. Give it some time. Give it some time. Pentecost is coming. Did you know that today's Pentecost Sunday, by the way? 50 days after Easter, where, where Pentecost, where the message of the gospel would hit the world, where Jesus would indwell through his Holy Spirit with all mankind everywhere. And here Paul in prison in trial, pain, and suffering was able to preach to the courtyard, to the masses. Jesus shows up and encourages him. This time he's in jail and he's like, cool, man, this is, I got a painful, hopeless situation, uh, but it's an opportunity for me to sit down and think and write and <laughs> write the Bible. Hey, let me ask you guys a question. Is there anything in your life at the time seemed very painful and hopeless, yet now a few months or a few years later, you see the purpose of the pain and in a weird way, kind of a sick way, but a real way, you're actually, you're actually, you're actually, you're actually glad for it. That's freaky right there. I'm telling you what, put that in your pocket for what's coming down the road. There are things in your life right now that at the time, objection, your honor, this is not okay. I did not vote. This is not rejection. This, no. Lord, take this away. Lord, no, no. In your past, dozens, hundreds even of things that God didn't do your way, didn't answer your prayer, didn't give you this job, didn't give you that spouse, didn't give you that thing when you thought it was so good, didn't take this away when you said, take this away. And now years later, you're like, oh, wow, trip out trip out. Turns out I was with Jesus and it was four other people. So much redemption. God redeems. God causes all things to work together for good. God will allow you to walk through pain and trial and suffering in order to put you in a position to be with him, to receive from him, and then to be used for others. You guys know, know my story, but in 2006, my wife and I became pregnant. She became more pregnant than I, <laughs> but I was there. You know how it works. <laughs> and we were stoked, so stoked, man. I, I'll never forget how stoked I was. And then I got on a plane and I had to go to a conference in Georgia. And, and I was over in Georgia and my wife called and, and just I would, in, in denial, she said, I don't, it's not, something's, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Just came from the doctor. Heartbeat doesn't look good. She saw the, she saw the baby, saw the heartbeat, and saw the little thing. It doesn't look good. It's not, it's not going to make it. And I remember on the phone, she was miscarrying on the phone right there, just like this craziness, just weeping, just singing, just pr trying to praise God, reading Job chapter 1. And we were so devastated. We were numb for about two months. We actually came to Newport. We actually came here for about 10 days. And uh, I took 10 days off. I came here for just a couple days, actually. And, and I remember just... Okay, Lord, not my choice, not my will, not, not cool, not cool at all. And just two months later, way too soon, two months later, she wanted to take a pregnancy test and came back positive. And we were stunned again. Oh, come on, Lord. We can't handle this, this, this up and down roller coaster ride. And that baby was healthy. That baby grew. That baby was born. And that baby's name is Noah Frechette. And Noah Frechette's upstairs in one of these classes up here wrecking havoc. 
But you're forced to sit there and say, what, do you, what would you rather have, a healthy baby or a healthy Noah? Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. It's outside of my understanding. It's a mystery. It's beyond comprehension. Was there pain involved? Is there still pain involved? Always. Life is tough, and God is good, and God redeems, and God has a purpose, and God has a plan. Shortly thereafter, a friend of mine went through their miscarriage. Miscarriage is very common. But I don't care who you are. It's very common. But when you go through it, there's nothing... There's, there's no pain like it until you go through it. And so I found myself then able to be with this friend of mine, this family. And according to their own testimony, weeks and months later, they said, you were the only ones who actually helped because you, you guys didn't try and fix it. <laughs> you were just there. You just knew. You just understood. You didn't try and sweep it under the rug or pretend or tell us that it's normal. And your story is your story. And your situation and your pain there are all kinds of different reasons for pain. Where does this come from? Who's this, who's, whose fault is this? Hey, don't ask that question. Who are you with? And who might it be for? Well, it'll redeem everything. It'll change everything about your whole life. Your whole life. As you trust the Lord. As he calls you out into waters where feet may fail. Faith surrounds us. Isn't Paul awesome? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me, just copy me as I follow Christ. He had spent so much time with Jesus. That's what he says in these verses, which we didn't even study today, sorry. In these verses, he says, this, this revelation that Jesus gave me was crazy. He had to break me down in order for me to receive it, in order to be the ambassador that I am, in order to be the least of the apostles. And we'll study these verses in depth next week. But he says, I'm with Jesus. Don't trip about my trouble. Those two things you need to ask yourself this week and this day. Are you going through your pain and your stuff with Jesus primarily? If you're not, it's going to be a long class. Okay? It's going to be a long class. <laughs> Repeat the lesson. Repeat the lesson. But when you learn to go through it with Jesus and, and like Paul Use that time to get in the word as he wrote the word. Use that time to get in Jesus' presence. Use that time. Not just being with Jesus, but who are you suffering for? Who might this be? Who might this bless down the road? Did you know that your suffering in your life gives you credibility? That the things you've been through gives you a greater voice? Paul says that in verse 2. He says it very simply. He says, in, Indeed, you, you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. You've heard about it, and now you're listening to me. Why? Well, because I'm Paul. Look at how beat up I am. Look at what I've gone through. Now listen to me, because I don't care what I've gone through. I care about Jesus, and I care about you. Whoa, cool. And when you can get over your pity party, it's your... It's, I hate to say it that way, and I apologize if I offended you, because your situation's tough, okay? So I apologize. But when you find Jesus, when you truly do today, he's with you. And then you choose to say, Lord, would you use me now for my grandkids, 
Would you use me now for my coworkers, for my neighbors? You don't realize this, but they're watching you. You don't even think they like you, and they probably don't. <laughs> Statistically, it's been studied out that over seven people, random people, will study you every single day without you knowing it. Even more so, those studies are old. Now we're like super into each other. <clears throat> they'll watch you. And those who know you better will actually watch you on Facebook and they'll watch your life. And they may never reciprocate what they've seen or what they've received. And I've had people over the years, man, I saw you then and I received from you and I am encouraged by you. What? I didn't know that. No way. It's, you gotta believe it today. There's a purpose for the pain. There's a purpose for the problem. Twofold. Number, number one is very important, that you would be with God and that God would be with you. So important. Get that down. And then God will do the rest. God will then use your life, your story, and give you credibility to your voice, to your opinions, to your choices, to your steps. And people will be encouraged by you. They will be drawn nearer to God because of you. It's the whole deal. Isn't that the whole deal? Isn't that the whole deal? We want everyone to be saved. He says that in verse somewhere. Look at verse nine. I'm getting, I'm so excited. He says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God. I want all to see. Paul is so nuts. I would have liked that guy so much. Hey, Paul, who do you want to have a hoodie? Everybody. How many people do you want to go to church? All of them. Well, shouldn't people have a, cho have a choice? They make bad choices. <laughs> Paul saw things. He said, guys, it, this is for everybody. Two things. Find God in your trial. I don't care how small it is. Start on the small stuff. Would you do that with me? I dare you to do that. On the small, junky stuff this week. Find Jesus in the small, stupid stuff. Phone falls out of your pocket, hits the ground. Doesn't break, but you're still mad as can be. Stop. Find Jesus in that. Oh, so glad there won't be phones in heaven. Hey. Yeah, do something. Do the small stuff. I'm going to be late for work. Okay. It's an opportunity for me to walk in humility and apologize to my boss and not be all mad about it and throw somebody under the bus. Just look for God in the small things. Fellowship with him. Your blood pressure will go down. Your stress levels will decrease. Your joy will flow. You'll be the most blessed person in the world. Find him in the... Because you're going to have pain. Okay, big or small, there's a lot of different reasons. Fellowship with Jesus in the stuff. And do it for others. Oh, I'm gonna have the worship team come up. Would you bow your heads? Father, we thank you that, that you meet us right where we're at. And that you're so kind and so gentle and so strong. You're so bold. You hear all the things that are good. And so God, today, as we read your word and as we consider our lives real time, here it is. And we look at Paul as he was incarcerated. As we consider Isaiah, who was humbled. 
as we consider, Lord, the pain that has been afforded to us thus far and the pain that is guaranteed us in the future. I ask, God, that this group, this body of believers would be anointed this day and this week, Lord, to quickly reach out to Jesus, to want you in our lives, to look for you in the pain, to say, oh, I'm not a prisoner of a system. I'm not collateral damage of someone else's fault. I'm actually a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and I like it. It's for you, Gentiles. It's for you, my neighbors. It's for you, my spouse. It's for you, my friends. It's for you, my kiddos. It's for you, my legacy and my lineage. God, the author and perfecter of your faith, is growing and building you up by faith in faith. In order to have faith, it's not a pill you take, it's a muscle that gets worked. And he'll do things in your life to get that muscle active. Things will fall apart, things will be challenged. Things won't work out the way you want. It's, I'm just, it's not gonna be the way you want. And God will be right there with you. Right there with you, holding you. Blessing you, holding you near to himself in order that he might be your greatest need. And he'll do through you then to the people around you only that which he can do. As you come to the table this morning, as you commune with him, as you find yourself with him, repent of all the things you've been looking for of all the things you've been hoping. And if that's you this morning that would just say, you know what, I just want to, I'm not gonna get saved this morning, but I'm raising my hand because I want to be set apart with Jesus this morning. I want to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings. That doesn't mean more sufferings are coming because they weren't. They're already here and they already were. But I wanna know Jesus through. Would you just raise your hand right now? Raise your hand if you want an overwhelming power to be yours to redeem the process and the pain, to walk with him in the person. Lord, my hand is up to you. Lord, forgive me of my foolishness. Forgive me of my smallness of just not wanting there to be any pain or trial or getting, oh, Lord, give us patience, Lord, this day. May the fruit of the patience grow in us. May we not be quick, Lord, to have wrath and anger. May we not be quick, Lord, to doubt or to fear. May we be quick, Lord, to look for Jesus in our cell, Jesus in the purpose. We raise our hands to you, Lord, saying, be with us in our stuff. And we know through that you'll use us in our stuff. You'll do it. You'll do it. It'll be organic. It'll be crazy. It'll surprise us. When people are watching us, we didn't even know. People are encouraged by us. We'll be so excited that they saw Jesus in us. We'll be so excited that they saw Jesus in us. So Lord, anoint us now as we come to the table, celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me? And when you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisle and celebrate with your king, your savior, as he endured pain and suffering to be with you, to be with God.
There'll be people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well. The tables are open.